Before I open up uh, God's word this morning, I'd like to have one more time of prayer. Uh, this time I'd like to pray for our missionary of the month. That's Laura Robinson. Laura was here with us on Wednesday night, uh, did uh, a tremendous job of presenting uh, her work. Uh, she works with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Um, and uh, right now, uh, she is morphing into a little different responsibility. She is uh, going to be involved with uh, the engagement department. That means that uh, once the Bible is translated, of course, they want it to be used. And uh, the engagement department helps the churches and various individuals incorporate uh, these new translations into the life of worship and the church. So it's a very important work. And also, um, she's hoping to return, but she's been having some visa problems. So pray for that, that it would be worked out. But let's, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Laura Robinson. We thank you for her life. We thank you for her witness. And uh, we pray for these visa problems, that they would be resolved and she'd be able to return uh, on the schedule. And then uh, as uh, she takes on these new responsibilities of uh, being involved in the engagement department, uh, we certainly do pray that these uh, scriptures that are being translated uh, will be utilized in the life of the church May they be put to uh, good use. Uh, may you bless your word, and may it prove to be of great value to uh, those uh, individuals who uh, are privileged to have the word of God in their language. Uh, we thank you and praise you for the work of Wycliffe, and we just ask your continued blessing upon Laura in particular. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Last week, Jesus taught us the importance of seeking the wandering sheep and how that Jesus seeks one when uh, there are a hundred of the sheep but only one have wandered away. Uh, Jesus seeks that one and so should we. Not just the lovable. I think when we think of sheep, we think of this lovable, furry, nice Creature, but all, not all sheep are all that lovable, and not all that sheep are all that cute. Some are weakly and sick, and some are maimed. And in this passage, one of the sheep have sinned against a brother. So in Matthew eighteen fifteen, in the application of seeking the wandering sheep, Jesus says, "If your brother sins against you." Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he won't listen to you, well then go back with one or two and confront him. And if they won't listen to the one or two, then take it to the church. And if they won't listen to the elders, then that person should be considered as a non-believer for their lack of repentance. Now, Peter has a very logical question. And that is, how often... Should you forgive a person who sins against you, and they repent, and then they sin against you again, and they repent, and then they sin against you and repent, how long do you endure that process? When do you get to the place when you say, enough is enough? I'm not going to put up with this any longer. How long do we allow a person to seek repentance and we give them 
forgiveness? That's Peter's question. Matthew 18.21 Then Peter came unto him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Should I forgive this individual seven times? Where does that come from? This aspect of forgiving a person seven times. The answer it comes from the story of Cain. When uh, Cain killed Abel, Cain was going to be avenged, according to the scripture, seven times. But Jesus said to him in Matthew 18, 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That also comes from an Old Testament passage. Lamech was a descendant of Cain. Lamech was a real character, to be sure. Lamech was a scoundrel. And Lamech prided himself in the fact that he was going to do 77 times worse to someone than what they ever did to him. Listen to the words of Genesis 4, 23 and following. Lamech said to his wives, he's threatening them. He said, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Okay? All they did was hit me. I killed him. So the person, he wounded me. I killed him too. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemmick's is 77-fold. He said, I'm going to do 77 times worse to someone than they do to me. We usually talk about getting even. Lemmick wasn't interested in getting even. He was going to pay back 77 times worse than what anyone ever did to him. Jesus is using that as an analogy about forgiveness. And so we are to be 77 times more gracious than any harm or evil that has been done to us. We are to exceed it abundantly. And of course, it's not just to be limited to 77 times as much. The point is that the abundant grace should be shown. The theme is the inappropriateness of the believer ever refusing to forgive our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let me say that again. The inappropriateness of the believer ever to refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters in the Lord, no matter how many times they come to us seeking for forgiveness. We who are believers should never, ever refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Boy, that's a strong, strong statement. So why do we say that? Three reasons. First, because we ourselves have been the recipients of a tremendous degree of God's forgiveness. God teaches us that we have been recipients of a great grace, and the resultant responsibility is to forgive in the form of a parable. Notice Matthew 18, 23 and following. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king 
who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. In the parable, the king represents God. The one owning a great debt represents ourselves. And so we find that the servant, and thus ourselves, was and are in a hopeless situation. Now that hopeless situation is described in a number of ways. First, his situation is hopeless because of the immensity of the debt. Notice 18 verse 24. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So the king starts taking in all the vouchers. And he finds one person who owns him 10,000 talents. Now that number is astronomical. Perhaps the best way to understand that number is by comparison. A denarii in this passage was a day's wage. One denarii equaled approximately one day's wage. 10,000 talents would equal 100 million denarii. So 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of 100 million days labor, which translates into 250,000 years. A little tough to pay off. A little tough to work that debt off. The point is, it was an astronomical debt. There was no way. So the second point is the situation was hopeless because of his inability to pay the debt. And since he could not pay the debt, that was obvious. That was obvious. How in the world was he going to pay off a debt that would take 250,000 years to pay off? His situation is hopeless because he is justly condemned. Justly condemned. Notice verse 25. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had. So to try to get back a portion of this incredible debt, the king was going to sell the servant, sell the wife, sell the children. And of course, that wouldn't pay it off, but it at least would be something that he would recoup. His situation is hopeless despite his promise to repay. The man asked for mercy in the form of patience. Notice verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Patience. Just wait 250,000 years, and I'll pay you back. You know, it's kind of like the wimpy cartoon, you know, with uh, Popeye. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for the hamburger today. Well, this 250,000 years. I mean, the request was absurd. 
Have patience. All the patience in the world would never have brought about a repayment. No way could this person pay it off. We are to see ourselves in this parable. We are, we were in a hopeless situation before God. The parable is talking about a brother who sins against us. We are sinners. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve eternal punishment as a result of our sinfulness. There is nothing that we could do to repay our debt. We couldn't work it off. All of our good deeds are as filthy rags. We couldn't surmount. We couldn't overcome all of our indebtedness to God. There is no way that we could ever make amends. There's no way we could ever pay God back. There is no way we could undo what we had done. We were hopeless in our position before God, just as hopeless as this servant was. And we could plead for mercy and we could plead for patience, but our situation was, in fact, hopeless. However, the servant receives forgiveness of the great debt. The servant was a recipient of compassion, verse 27, and out of pity for him. That's the only thing that motivated the king. There was nothing in it for the king. He simply had pity on the servant. Mercy on the servant. He thought about the servant's condition. And it moved him to pity. The servant was a recipient of kindness. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. He let him go. And not only that, the servant was a recipient of grace. For it tells us in verse 27, and forgave him the debt. He was treated as though the debt were paid in full. Of course, our debt was paid in full by Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross, bore the consequences of our sin, died and rose again. And we are treated as though the debt is paid in full. We are recipients of grace. And we should not miss the play on words in verse 21, where it says, Notice in verse 27, he forgave him the debt. Now in verse 21, Peter came and said, Lord, how often my father sinned against me and I forgive him. It's the same word. It's talking about forgiveness in the sense that a person would be forgiving a debt. You just write it off. How, how long do I just write this off? How many times do I not hold this person accountable? How many times do I not make this person pay? How many times do I just receive them back and welcomed them as though nothing ever happened. As though it didn't exist. Number two, we who are believers 
should never refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why? Because we can see the inappropriateness, yes, even the wickedness of one who has been forgiven much, failing to forgive someone a small thing. Our own sense of justice teaches us that it is necessary for us to forgive others. Notice verse 32. Then his master summoned him. Now that's the king summoning the forgiven servant. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. Wicked. It's the word for evil. It's the word that's used of Satan, the evil one. You are wicked. It is the strongest moral rebuke that one could receive. One can't be worse than being wicked. This was the worst thing that this servant could have done. He was wicked. Why is it such wickedness? Why is it so evil? Why is it so deplorable? Well, we can see it in the contrast between the forgiveness that the servant received and the unwillingness of the servant to in return forgive his fellow servant. The wickedness of the servant can be seen in three contrasts. The first contrast, there is a contrast of the size of the debt. The wicked servant had owed the king a great amount of money. The fellow servant was owed a much lesser amount of money. Notice verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay? That's a pretty good sized debt. It's a hundred days wages. But in comparison to 250,000 years worth of debt, a hundred days wages is much less significant. There is a contrast of position. The forgiven servant was a servant of the king. He was under the king's authority. Even before he had become indebted to the king, he still was a servant of the king. Remember, the king is God. All that we have ultimately comes from God, and this servant had squandered it away. However, the unforgiven servant was an equal to the servant. Notice in verse 28. He found one of his fellow servants. This was a peer. This was a person on par with him. He wasn't over him. We're talking about God and the servant. We're talking about a servant and another servant. These were equals. One not superior to the other. And then there's the contrast in the way in which the forgiven servant was treated by his Lord and the way in which he in turn treated his fellow servant. The first servant was treated with kindness, but he responds with cruelty. Notice verse 18, excuse me, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. 
All right, so he grabs hold of him and he puts his hands around his neck because he's so angry with his servant and he starts shaking him and choking him and says, pay me what you owe. He responds with cruelty. The first servant had received kindness. The forgiven servant was treated with compassion. He, in turn, responds to the fellow servant with no compassion. Verse 28. And when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. That should sound familiar to us. Look back at verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. The first servant falls on his knees before the king and says, Have patience, and I will pay you everything. And he never, ever could have done so. He receives forgiveness. Now that very same servant goes out to his fellow servant, chokes him. That fellow servant falls to his knees and says, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he shows no forgiveness. Verse 30, And he would not, but went and cast him into a prison till he should pay the debt. All could see that that was wrong. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Everyone could see that that was wrong. And the point of the parable is, each of us should see that that's wrong. To be forgiven so much and to be unwilling to forgive so little. All of us, if we know the Lord Jesus our Savior, have been forgiven so much. And in comparison to what anyone does to us, it's so little. So we too should readily see to be treated so kindly and mercifully and graciously in being forgiven so much we should be unwilling to be kind, merciful, and gracious to those who in comparison owe us so little. In fact, that is wicked. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. It's interesting, all three elements are in that verse. Kindness, compassion, forgiveness. Even as Christ's even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The third point. We who are believers should never refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why? Because if we refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we run the risk of our being refused forgiveness by God. Let me say that again. Because if we refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we run the risk of our being 
refused forgiveness by God. Notice verse 33 and following. Start with verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that's true? If we will not forgive a brother, does that mean that God will not forgive us? This is one of those passages that's easily ignored. You know, you can read that and say, well, uh, it obviously doesn't mean that. That's hyperbole. That's an exaggeration. You know, we believe in eternal security and, and all that. That, that. It can't mean that. Or can it? Or can it? Why would it say that? Well, first, there's a moral impetus that we forgive others. Verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? There's a moral measure as to how we are to forgive others. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In other words, I showed mercy, you should show mercy. I showed an incredible amount of mercy. Shouldn't you show an incredible amount of mercy? But then there is this moral necessity that we forgive others. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That is sobering. It is meant to be sobering. This passage is bookended. The first bookend was the unrepentant individual. Remember what happened at the end of that? You go and tell him his fault, and if he doesn't repent, then you go and two others with you, and if he doesn't find his fault, then you take him to the church, and if he doesn't repent, then you should treat him as a tax collector. As a Gentile, you're to treat him as an unbeliever. Such behavior is inconsistent with a, with a believer. Now, Jesus is saying, to fail to forgive is inconsistent with the behavior of a believer. Inconsistent with the behavior of a believer. A person who says that they are a believer cannot act this way. Again, it sounds almost like hyperbole, except, except when you look at the scripture as a whole. Listen to the Lord's Prayer. We refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. It's the incident when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus taught them to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in, this heaven, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you know the next phrase? 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. Wow. Would you feel comfortable praying that prayer? Lord, forgive me the way I forgive everybody else. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Unless we think that that is abnormal. Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus is teaching us how to pray, listen to these words, Matthew eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. If anyone has something against you, you forgive them so that your heavenly Father will forgive you. It's said too many times to ignore. It's said too often to write off, to excuse, or to say, it can't really mean that. It does mean that. And we say, well, well how in the world can that be? We're not saved by works, are we? No, we're not. We're not saved by works. This parable makes that absolutely clear. You have a debt you can't pay. I have a debt I can't pay. The only way for my debt to be resolved is for it to be forgiven, written off by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that's the case, and I don't earn my salvation, and I am forgiven solely by grace, then why would it say that if I don't forgive my brother, then I won't be forgiven? How do you put those two things together? Answer, a family resemblance. Back to the very first question. How often should I forgive? Seven times? Remember the story of Cain? Killed Abel. And he was going to take vengeance seven times on people. His descendant was Lamech. Lamech said, I'm going to pay 70 times seven. Lamech was like his father. Lamech acted like Cain, but worse. We are to be like our Father who's in heaven. We can't be better than him, but we should try to strive to be like him. There should be a family resemblance. There is a work of grace that is done in our heart. If we really understand forgiveness... If we really understand the debt that we owe, if we really understand how helpless we are, if we really understand how deserving of condemnation we are, then we who have received such forgiveness are going to be willing to extend that forgiveness to someone else. Secondly, if we really understand that we are fellow servants, that God is 
our king and he is our master, but we are not the master or king over anyone. In that sense, to talk about sinning against us is, is almost the wrong kind of nomenclature. In the truest sense of the word, we can't sin against somebody else. In Psalm 51, the psalmist, Psalm 51, the psalmist said, uh, oh boy, my mind just went blank, so I need to read it. Against you and you only have I sinned, oh God, thank you, yes. Against you and you only have I sinned. That's, that's a remarkable statement coming from the mouth of David, realizing the incident that it involves. He's talking about uh, the situation with uh, Bathsheba. Committed adultery with her. Had Uriah killed. And yet David says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And that was evil in thy sight. Because only a holy and righteous God can truly be sinned against. We can wrong one another. We can do deplorable things in relationship with one another. But we can't ultimately sin against another human being. The only one we can truly sin against is God. For we are fellow servants. He is the Holy One. He is the Righteous One. And so, we should identify. We should identify. We should relate. We should understand. Let me ask you, How many times have you asked the Lord to forgive you of your sin? How many times have you asked God to forgive you for the very same sin? How many times have you lied? How many times have you lusted? What is it in your life that you struggle with? And haven't you come repeatedly before God and said, God, forgive me? I'm going to change, and you don't. God, deliver me, and you're not delivered, and you come back time and time and time again and ask God to forgive you for the very same thing. When do you want God to stop? When do you want God to say, that's enough? I've had it with you. I'm fed up. It's over. There's no more forgiveness for you. When do you want that to occur? How many times? Of course, we don't want that to ever happen. And you know the marvelous truth is? It won't. It won't. God will ever forgive us for what we have done. And so we should always forgive those who come to us and say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, forgive me. Of course you're forgiven. Of course you're forgiven. Of course you're forgiven. Of course you're forgiven. forgiven. This passage brings us full circle. 
in this illustration of seeking a wandering sheep. Two lessons I'd like you to take from this parable. First, this parable teaches us the great confidence that we have in going repeatedly to Christ for forgiveness. We can accrue a debt that is equal to 250,000 years of wages. And he forgives it. We can't exhaust the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. His forgiveness is infinite. He removes our sin as far as the east from the west. We receive a clean slate every time we come to him. And we're going to always receive a clean slate every time we come to him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, Romans says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We should never presume upon God's grace. We should never act in a haughty manner with God's grace. We should never abuse God's grace. We just don't sin willy-nilly. We should strive against sin. We should hate sin. We should struggle against sin. But let me tell you, you will never be free from sin. That doesn't mean we don't try, but you will never be in a position where you no longer have to ask God for forgiveness. We are constantly in his debt. We never earn his blessing. He treats us with mercy and compassion each and every day. And when we understand that, we begin to realize that my brother and my sister needs my grace and compassion every single day. And I theirs. And that's what we tend to fail to see. I theirs. And if we can't see that, then maybe we're really not saved. If that doesn't make sense to us, if we, like the fellow servants, can't stand back and objectively say, that's wicked. If I can't point to my heart and say, if I am unwilling to forgive someone, that's just wicked in relationship to my relationship to God and all the forgiveness that I have Receive from him. How can I withhold from someone else what God so graciously, kind, and mercifully extended to me? Who am I? I'm just a fellow servant. He is God. And he forgives me. Then I need to forgive others. And the child of God because of the grace and mercy that we have received, will be able and willing to extend that grace and mercy to others. 
And when we find it hard and difficult to do, we need to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for not forgiving someone else. And maybe we have to go to someone else and say, you have to forgive me for my failure to forgive you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to take your word seriously. Lord, it's a powerful portion of scripture. Help us to see how much we have been forgiven. And in turn, be willing to share that forgiveness with others. Thankful we are, O God, that you never say it is enough. That is it. I am writing you off. O Lord, may we not write anyone off either. For this truly is consistent with what it means to bear the image, the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, of having you, our Father, as our Heavenly Father. For we are your children, even as Lamech was the child of Cain. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.